शिला गुरुदेव जय श्रीमन महाप्रु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री जगन्नाथ बलदेव सुभाद की जय श्री जगन्नाथ धाम की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रमान हरी हरी वो सो मोर एम वेलकम फ्रॉम श्री जगन्नाथपुर वन मोर टाइम हियर नवर लास्ट डेज इन दिस पर्टिकुलर धाम सैटरडे there will be a journey to Srinadya, the abode of Sriman Mahaprabhu. Well, this is also the abode of Sriman Mahaprabhu for sure. <laughs> so we, were, we will be fortunately moving from one abode of Sriman Mahaprabhu to the other. So, as usual, in the Stagosti format we invite whoever may have any questions or topics or comments, something you may like to share today you can do it just by sending whatever text message or unmuting yourself you have that option so we can begin with today's interaction I don't know if there are any questions Okay, hopefully this so, time I'm able to hear completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, some I think I heard from Mati that they see from Iskon, and she was saying that, um, like, if if we if we think and uh, if we think that the life there is injustice and this and that means that we don't believe really in karma because the world is perfectly balanced by karma and the only way to give our <clears throat> like our imprinting or to give some change to do something to the world is by mercy to add value to that add value to the world is by mercy because uh, mercy like you don't deserve mercy no one deserves mercy so I very much agree with the fact that it is perfectly balanced but my question is what do you think about the mercy part and how one can give mercy like I don't think I can give mercy. I can be kind. Just be kind and nice, but this doesn't mean that uh, maybe that is also karma. Like to be kind. Yeah. Mm. Like if I'm kind to Shamananda, maybe it's his karma that I'm kind to. 
know. <laughs> his good karma, his bad karma. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, that's there are some a number of points in in that question that sometimes we have already tried to to unpack. I will briefly repeat them because they're worthy of. <clears throat> of repeating them because not they are not so easy to to digest even if we may have all the philosophy we have no? so one of them is this point of the world as, as, as unbalanced as it seems as chaotic as we may perceive it is perfectly balanced hmm? by what we call law of karma hmm? so it's that's complex because it doesn't seem so to our vision, it seems a total chaos, a total lack of justice, a total lack of control, but no, it's not like that. There is an underlying control, universal factor of control, but at the same time we know there is something we call will, agency, in each, in each jivatma, because we cannot deny that each soul has agency, if that were not the case, we wouldn't be living individuals, basically. We, we, will, we wouldn't be too different from a table or whatever, a robot. So the fact that we have certain capacity and freedom to make a choice have some implications. I mean, we can choose in so many directions. And what we see in the world, if you want to speak in terms of the chaotic panorama of, of, of planet Earth. It's basically the combined result of the choices we are making, many of them unfortunately uninformed. And that's what happens when we make a choice on the basis of abidya, which basically means uh, ignorance. Sometimes we may translate abidya of lack of knowledge, but strictly speaking, more than lack of knowledge, we will say uh, Wrong, wrong knowledge, wrong, wrong orientation that makes us to act in a particular, um, how to say, out of centered way, if you will. And then we have the preojan of that, if you will, the fruit of such a movement in the world. So it's, how to say, it's easy to, and, and, and it's easy to, to blame, if you will, someone or something or to complain about the condition of the world without really making a deep effort to to get to the real explanation of why the world is as such. Because sometimes even we may want to change the world uh, or, or some people may like to change the world and I appreciate the intention but sometimes that desire of wanting to change the world is not accompanied by a proper understanding of why the world is as it is. So they do not have a clear picture of what 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 they want to change. I mean, they think, I want to change this, but they don't fully understand why that thing they want to change is happening like that. So the more you are uninformed about the reasons uh, connected to that thing you want to change, the less you will be re actually equipped to do that change, basically. So for us, it's really foundational to, first of all, be uh, comprehensively educated about why, why, what's the reasons behind all these symptoms. We have so many symptoms in the world, 
But as I, I always say, there's not too many problems. There's only one problem, and everything else is a symptom of the problem. So sometimes if we do not understand that root cause problem, avidya, and we want to jump into the symptoms of the problem without being properly, again, oriented and guided, I mean, we, we may be well-intended, but that won't, be, that won't represent a, a comprehensive solution to the real problem, as we know. <laughs> so, I think, again, this is a very important thing to have in place, and it's not only theory, but to really walk the talk, especially as, as Gaudias, we should be informed and, and, and inform our movements on that basis, and to understand, again, therefore, Everything is perfectly balanced in that sense. No? What, what I see chaotic is the unavoidable result of each jiva having will and, play, and, and the consequences of that will playing itself out multiplied by billions of entities in one single planet. But beyond that, if you will, underlying all that, still there are some cosmic laws, some balance that is keeping all in together if we will balance, if we will work properly as it should, basically. <laughs> so if we feel this shouldn't be happening, it's a good moment for us to, to ask ourselves, no? why I'm feeling like that, why I think this should not be happening. Because sometimes I may just be being lazy and evasive in un analyzing, again, the symptoms and being sentimental about that, but not really going to the real background of reality. So if you don't go to the real reasons, you are just analyzing something apparent, something that it is not what it is. It, it is something that seems to be. And that's what we call in Sanskrit Maya. Maya, one of the meaning of Maya is that which is not. But it seems to be, but it is not. So in connection to what your friend said, that in the context of this world being perfectly just, basically, and everyone is receiving what they deserve, that's one platform on this planet, plat of this world, karma platform, justice platform, paramatma platform, as it is mentioned in the Sandarvas, paramatma being basically uh, impartial hmm, towards the Vada Jivas, just witnessing and uh, presiding over this particular Shakti, Maya Shakti, Jiva Shakti, Bada Jiva Shakti, and their, inter their, their mutual interaction and affording, allowing the specific results of that interaction for it to happen. And no more than that, that's basically the role of Paramatma Jiva Goswami presents in, in the Paramatma Sandharva. But yes, on top of that we have the principle of mercy, as our Guru Maharaj says mercy is a transgression of justice. Of course, the word transgression may sound as negative, but in this case, it's our greatest hope on that type of transgression. Transgression is not always a bad thing. The gopis are the greatest transgressors, <laughs> and they are our greatest hope in one sense as well. So, <clears throat> so I appreciate the point that your friend made, because again, in a world where everything is cause and effect, action, reaction, justice, whatever you, you see it, even to the point that it sounds unjust, what someone sounds unjust, again, it's not because it is unjust, but it's because it's just, and maybe we are not willing to accept that we need that particular dose 
of justice in our life. We are not. We may not be able to acknowledge uh, the reasons for that to happen. Especially, I'm speaking all this in the context of someone not being under the shelter of the Bhakti Shakti. Because one thing is what happens in the life of a Bada Jiva under the shelter, quote-unquote, Durasraya, so-called shelter of Maya Shakti. And a bitter different thing is what happens under the shelter of the Bhakti Shakti. Even though externally certain situations may seem to play out identically, <laughs> or even worse for a devotee, <laughs> there is a whole different background and understanding to why that's happening in the life of Bhakta. So, going back to the idea, I will, because we are accustomed as Gaudias to understand mercy in a particular way. Now we, we say mercy and immediately we think in terms of, I don't know, Mahaprabhu, on his highest dispensation, Unatosh Balarasan, Swabhakti Sriya, Naumahavadanjaya, and things like this, no? And of course, that's mercy, but that's actually the, the most merciful mercy, if you will, if we, if we can speak in those terms, no? If we can speak in deg- about degrees of mercy, no? costless mercy and extreme mercy, of course, to say costless mercy is kind of a, redundant expression because mercy has to be costless because if it's cost mercy it's more like justice basically cause and effect so mercy means there is no cause you don't deserve that but still you are receiving that or you are giving that to others whatever may be the case so I will say that in the case of someone I don't know some person is whatever like experiencing the results of some past karma in the form of a particular type of suffering. Let's say the person is in the street uh, without having anything to eat or someone somewhere to, to sleep, whatever the case. So many, so many uh, nuances, uh, karmic nuances can be there. And, and you happen to be walking there and, and you feel some compassion for that person. And you may understand, yes, that person is experiencing this because of, some previous actions, because that's a fact. I mean, it's not that because, again, Paramatma got distracted and took a nap, and the whole law of karma became like disrupted, and everything is unjust from now on. It doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. So, Mahavishnu is the one taking some considerable naps. Karana Dakasai Vishnu, but Garbo Dakasai Vishnu, Siddha Dakasai Vishnu. They are watching over this, this cosmic manifestation. So they are quite attentive to that. <laughs> so the point is, you may help that person who, out of karma, does deserve to be in that situation, but you feel some compassion and you like to help that person. And you give that person something to eat, somewhere to rest, whatever. And again, it's, that's out of his or her circle of deserving, if you will. So if something doesn't fit with the karma... Uh, dynamics, of course, you, you have to speak in terms of mercy. Even though that may not be something strictly transcendental, if you will. Because, let's say, well, I gave your example, but let's give an example of someone who is not connected at all with bhakti. Nor from one side, nor from the other. But someone may be compassionate or merciful in, in a more, as you, as you use the word, kind, if you will, no? But still, if that person is not deserving that, and you took, I don't, I don't use the word pity, but you felt compassionate towards that person, that's a form of mercy. Because that's out of the realm of 
deserving. You are doing something transgressing what the person deserves. So I will say, yeah, that's a that's one of I mean, if, in terms of the realm of karma, one of the main contributions we can uh, give there. First of all, I would say to educate people about that because most of the people don't have even a clue about this perfect balance, perfect karmic balance, and the no injustice theory. All the things are practically non. Uh, popular and basically we are in a in an age with victim consciousness is the norm mm, that's basically the the standard of Kali Yuga mm. quarrel and hypocrisy I will summarize that in the words victim consciousness mandas manda matyo manda bhaga is the Bhagavatam describing the people of Kali mm, disturbed lazy and always this, yeah, always complaining. Victim consciousness is a good contemporary way to, for putting the classical uh, Kali Chela, as Bhaktivinotak will say, the disciple of Kali. So, if we are on, a, on an age that so there's victim consciousness in such a prevalent way, one of the biggest contributions will be to educate people about, uh, I mean, you shouldn't play the victim. You choose to play the victim, basically. I mean, it's your choice to play the victim. It may be not your choice, as we say one time, it may be not your choice to suffer. Everyone of us has to go through some situation, but it's your choice to play the victim. That's for sure. <laughs> Certain unavoidable situations may come to your life, but still it's your choice how to embrace them, how to host them, as a victim or as a hero. As we say one, playing with words, a victim or a victor. Victor, victory, kijai, or victim? So I would say to begin with, that's an important <clears throat> educational, because education is so crucial for, for the welfare of humanity. I mean, that's so foundational. So to provide proper education about how to understand, first of all, the realm of justice. Because even, I mean, we can try to be kind, but if you, let's try to imagine, if you are kind and merciful, towards someone who is not understanding how the laws of karma operate, how this perfect justice is actually a fact, I mean, no matter how merciful you are to that person, that won't reach that deep in that person because the person is not able to first understand justice. So if you do not have a comprehensive understanding of justice, most probably you won't be able to have a comprehensive understanding of mercy which is a higher principle. No. So, by law, by logic, if you don't understand the most basic principle, you can understand the more complex one, the deepest ones. So, mercy is a transgression of justice. So, since mercy is defining connection to justice as a transgression of it, first of all, you need to understand what justice, so you can understand what does it mean to transgress that in, in the name of mercy. <laughs> so, I will say to begin with, yeah, one of the main contributions here will be to educate about what's karma, what's even though it sounds so basic, but in the moment that plays out in one's life and to understand that and to give support, accompany the person properly, I mean, that's, that's a whole thing. And then, yes, of course, we can try to uh, engage and interact in the lives of people in the context of providing mercy. And again, there are levels of mercy. Again, I gave some examples even of 
uh, non of secular mercy, if you want to put it like that, where no? you can be kind towards someone, even though the person is not deserving that. And so that's a form of mercy. Mm-hmm. But of course, we also have some hierarchy in that context, and we can speak in terms of divine, costless mercy, transcendental mercy, and connecting people with bhakti scars. And then we are speaking in, about mercy still, but in another whole reach. In, of the mercy department. And for us, of course, the ultimate reach is Mahaprabhu's dispensation because it's the highest form of mercy because it's reached down to the less deserving type of people, us, or me at least. Mm-hmm. So, and since we are here giving our testimony of that, since we have been touched but by, but by, by, by that magical uh, gift of Mahaprabhu, it's also our commitment trying to extend that gift to others by way of sharing our own testimony. So that's, of course, for us the most, um, the highest type of welfare work, as the Gopi said, Purida Janaha, in the, in, in the, in the Gopi Gita, Tavakatamritam Tapta Jeevanam Kaviviriditam Kalmasabham Shravanamangalam Srimadatatam Bhuvigrinantiye Jaburida Janaha. So, to spread this Harikata, to spread the glories, the message, Harikirtan, and give life to the deadly, if you will, condition of the jivas in this world, the gopis say that's the highest type of welfare work. Mm-hmm. So, that's hand in hand with this point you're asking about, or your friend was asking about. No, that's, that's something we can do, but again... It's interesting to think in terms of you don't need even to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava to be merciful. Sometimes we, somehow we become a little bit like sectarian in that sense. You know? Like only we can give mercy. Or, 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 only, or, or only a transcendentalist can give mercy and the other things are whatever. But no, there are degrees of mercy. There are degree. Mercy, strictly speaking again, means something that you do not deserve. Mm-hmm. That you are not, according to the law of karma, is not in your reach but somehow reaches to you. It's not in your reach, you don't have the, the initiative to, to, to go and reach that, but that realm, whatever it may be, extends to you on some level, from some level, to some level in us. So that, that's the difference between types of mercy. Higher mercy will reach from a higher level and will reach to a deeper level, and so on. But the, the basic principle is, we are receiving something we do not deserve. So yeah, I think all these types of mercy are, are quite necessary in this world. This will really touch the heart of people, really, on some level or another, if, if you really are giving that in, in a genuine way. But again, I will, I will also emphasize this, the importance of, uh, first of all, trying to, to establish, or, or maybe it's not possible, first of all, maybe you, you, act, you engage in an act of kindness and mercy, and on the... When the people feel moved to that and opens to that, you can share in more depth about try to explain to them their own situation, if you will, why this is happening to them. For example, yesterday, yesterday uh, I was here replying some emails or something, something with the computer, and suddenly one one friend from my past, if you will, and from my present as well. <laughs> we keep, we are still friends, but I, he was playing, we, we played music together when we were teenagers, basically. But he then connected with the Vaishnavs on the temple and so on. So he wrote me a message and he told me that basically the one of the other boys that used to play with us in the same band, 
he passed away, like suddenly. He he was our age, no. So two some hours before he was called by his his uh, wife, the wife of the person who passed away, and, and because she entered the room and she found him just lying on the floor, like blue already passed away, and that's all. <laughs> So, of course, you can imagine that's, of course, totally unexpected and, and, and how we react to that. Again, death is a big teacher in this connection. But at the same time, and again, it's not that I will immediately tell them everything is perfectly just and everything happened for some reason, stop lamenting. But basically, that's what Krishna is saying to Arjuna in the very beginning of the Gita. In one way or another, be careful of not lamenting unnecessarily and lamenting unnecessarily means lamenting without proper understanding of what is happening and why, why it's happening. Mm-hmm. So there are certain laws that, as we know, uh, are ascribed to us and we have certain breaths, if you will, <laughs> ascribed in this lifetime. And at one point, specifically according to our karma, if we speak in terms of the jiva, uh, we will have to leave this vehicle in the case of a Vaishnava, according to Bhakti Shakti and Krishna's will, that will happen in some particular moment. There's nothing we can do against that. So we have to think what I can do, not against that, but in favor of that, if we will. How can I contribute with that situation that it goes beyond my control? And again, I have to really, uh, how to say, like, relearn all the basic philosophy in, 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 in 30 seconds, basically. I have to rem- remember all the foundations of our philosophy in 45 seconds, <laughs> so I can really like be, be, become sober, uh, be centered to face whatever situation is uh, like shaking my maybe maybe shaking my foundations. No, so so yeah, I think this is a very important thing to constantly share and constantly not only share with others and remind others, but we ourselves need to need to be really fixed in this type of conclusions. Again, not like a intellectual extreme conviction but a real sensitive type of wisdom ambition it, it has to become a vision in us you know? we have to really understand life works like this this is how reality operates I mean there are certain codes and I am to recognize them and I am to follow them to be carried by them as in a current not oppose them and whatever is the result of that, that may be my gift to the world, my example. So, some ideas, some thoughts, I hope that may help and contribute towards whatever your friend has also shared with you. Thank you for the question. What else? <clears throat> I see one question here in the chat that was shared some days ago by Namrasa, and I invited him to present it today. So we can reply in a more, a little bit more expanded way. Meanwhile, if anyone has any other questions, you can share them or you can raise your hand or eventually, after my reply here, unmute yourself. Uh, So, it says, you said last week, in the name of practicing spiritual life, that practice in spiritual life may be the best excuse not to practice spiritual life. Can you explain what you mean exactly? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's something I generally used to say because that's something I generally used to see. 
and, and not, not necessarily in others, but in oneself, that tendency may be still there on one level or another. And that, like, trick, you know, trick, comfort zone, complacency. You know, it's most about complacency in the sense of I may be practicing this. There are many things to say in this connection, so let's see where, where to begin. I will say to begin with, this idea has to do, in general, it has to do with being mediocrity and not being concerned with making progress as a practitioner, but just being like content with being part of, not belonging to a group, a mission, being disciple of a certain guru. Sometimes it happens. Besides one is practicing or not, <laughs> my point here to begin with is. For example, sometimes we may feel, I don't know, I was born in Jagannath Puri, so I don't need to do certain things, if you will. I'm already in there. I'm in the club. I'm in the Antaranga Bhakta circle. Or I am a Gaudiya Vaishnava, or I'm a sannyasi, or I'm a man, <laughs> or I'm a woman, whatever. <laughs> Or I am whatever, no? I mean, I am a temple president, I am a GBC, I am a senior devotee, I am... So many things that, that very subtly create this form of, of, of laziness, basically. This form of eva evasive mentality, like, I already reached something, so I don't need to reach something else. Do not demand more from me, because look who I am, look where I got, look where I am. Something, even, even though you are not saying that, of course, in that way, <laughs> but that plays out maybe even in a subconscious level. Maybe you are a card-carrying member of a particular mission or sampradaya, and you may feel, I'm safe, I'm saved, I belong to this particular institution. You yourself, I think we were speaking about that the other day, or someone, and, and I agree with that, some devotees in Iskun may think, but well, we are in ISKCON, so we are, I mean, I, and I'm not criticizing ISKCON or not the devotees there. Any other devotee in other mission may think the same thing with their respective acharya. <laughs> but someone may think, oh, I'm in ISKCON, so Prabhupada, I, I, I'm, I'm connected with Prabhupada, so I am in the real thing here, basically. But basically, you are not asking yourself what you are doing for being connected with Prabhupada. But just because of belonging to a particular institution, you may think, that's all. Like, like the Christian people who may say, okay, I, I just accept Jesus Christ and you are saved. And yes, I agree with that. But the point is, what does it mean to accept someone like Jesus Christ? Hmm? And what does it mean to be saved? What, what's your, our own understanding of being saved? The fall, because sometimes we, we may not even have a clear picture of what's that. So we, it's just like a, a narrative that we repeat to ourselves. We try to convince ourselves from something that actually in the depth of that, we, we may know it's not okay, it's not correct, there's something else I have to do. But somehow we try to cover that and repeat to ourselves, no, no, but I'm a member of this, my guru is such and such, and I mean, there's nothing that can happen to me. I'm invulnerable or some whatever nonsense. Or even, and the point is, we may say all the things, and maybe we are not practicing any sadhana whatsoever. <laughs> So, the point again, in the name of membership, if you will, I belong to this world, this group or this, I'm covert. I have covered my basis. Which again, is a form of cheating. Mm -hmm. It's a form of complacency. 
or in the name of practicing, which is more connected to the question, in the name of practicing a spiritual life, we may be using that term to do exactly the opposite of that. So what do I mean by that? You may be practicing, but again, you may be practicing with which intention? What's your intention for practicing? As we were saying the other day, I think also, someone may say, I want to advance spiritually. So the next question will be, why? Why? Have you asked that question yourself? I mean, I'm not asking only to Namrasa, but to all of, all of us. Uh, sometimes we may not even be asking ourselves or questioning the idea of advancing. That's another level even. Sometimes we may not be even concerned about making progress. We may be just concerned about belonging to a particular social group, feeling accepted by a particular circle of people, like more social or religious concerns, which is more type of, yeah, the Barna Ashram consideration, if you will. As Madhavananda Prabhu was telling the other day, when we were sharing Harikata, in, in, that was in Gambira. So we were in the depths of Jagannath Puri, if you will, in the cave, the ultimate cave <laughs> of Jagannath Puri. So he was speaking about these different levels of, of conception. I was not able to, I, I couldn't avoid thinking how my Guru Maharaj speaks in terms of being a religious person and being a mystic, for example. Like this more socio-religious orientation and the experiential spiritual orientation. So he was speaking about this in terms of the Jagannath Mandir, which is more like a socio-religious uh, center for the city of Puri, <laughs> and the Gambira, which is a very complete different <laughs> orientation and dynamic. No? So the Jagannath Mandir is a more like socio-religious point of meeting. Mahaprabhu went there daily in the first years when he was a public person and so on. But eventually, when he got deep, deeper and deeper and deeper, he was not even going to the Sri Mandir, to Jagannath Mandir. He was just in the Gambira, in the depths, in the grave depths of the ocean, of his introspection. So, again, going back to the question, some people may... And I'm not blaming them. Again, there's a place for that. If you are a Kanishta Bhakta, for example, a Kanishta Bhakta, a, a, a novice, has a license, if you will, to engage in in this type of, of complacency on some level. I mean, the person is not aware of that, the person is not yet concerned maybe with making progress. It's just like, on some level, enjoying Krishna consciousness. Srila Prabhupada says something like that. There's two types of people. Some people comes to serve Krishna, some people comes to be served by Krishna. And, of course, we can ask ourselves that same question. And it's not just one or the other, there are degrees in between, for sure. And there's a transition, ideally, from in the beginning being served to eventually serve in an exclusive, unmotivated way. So there is a place for that, of, of thinking that I'm practicing, and because I'm thinking I'm practicing, I'm not just basically concerned about anything else, I'm just like, like stuck, for some time at least, but the motions of the beginning, association and impressions carry me for some time, so... I don't feel there is a problem, but in time, of course, I will realize I need to go deeper. So again, after that comes this idea, no? I'm practicing a spiritual, I, I need to make progress. To, at the beginning I'm practicing, but I'm not concerned about making progress. 
then I will start to be concerned about making progress while practicing, but I may not be asking myself why I want to make progress. <laughs> so we see there are so many layers of self-inquiry. In the beginning, it's, I'm just follow the motions, maybe I just imitate what others are doing, what others tell me to do. There's naivete, innocence there, no problem, there's place for that. But no concern about progress yet. Then there's some concern about progress, I feel the need to make progress. But why? Sometimes I may just, because I feel stuck, because I'm suffering, because I'm feeling stuck, because I, I start to, I don't know, to realize, I don't want others to realize that I'm stuck. <laughs> so I need to make progress. <laughs> but sometimes it's more a matter of the ego, no? or that you need to see yourself making progress. And I'm not condemning that either. Again, there's place for those layers, but that's not the last stop of the, of the journey, of the flight. No? So, again, when I say in the name of practicing, you may not be practicing, it's not just only one layer of that, black or white. There are so many degrees of that, and eventually, of, of course, ideally, you start to more and more real, develop the proper motivation for wanting to practice and wanting to make progress in the context of practicing, hmm? which, of course, has to do with the real idea of seva, which is give pleasure to the object of your affection hmm? for the sake of that. <laughs> As my Guru Maharaj will say, you really understand, giving is the receiving. He puts that in these terms. In the beginning you feel, I mean, not give, by giving I have less, I lose. So I will try to receive the more, as, more, as most as possible and give as less as possible. Calculated. Or Srila Samaras will say what? Uh, too much risk, no gain. That will be like a parallel. No? <laughs> then Srila Simras will say, the more I get, I risk, the more I gain. Guru Maharaj will say, the more I give, the more I receive. It's parallel. And the last one is, no risk, all gain. Or, giving is the receiving. But again, you cannot just force yourself to act on that basis if you don't have the insight. Of course, you can start to inform, educate yourself and act accordingly. But but that has to happen gradually, gradually. Let me close the door because here starts one here. <clears throat> so so basically, I'm meaning that. No, sometimes devotees may really get yeah, like like trapped in a particular narrative. No, like for example, one classical example is chanting one's rounds, no? I remember once one devotee told me, uh, I remember, and that was weird for me, he told me, whenever there is a day that I'm not able to finish my 16 rounds, I consider myself, this day I lose my, I was in Maya this day. That was his like conclusion. So I was thinking, <laughs> I didn't tell that to him because I, I didn't feel he was willing to hear that. But I feel like, and what does it make you think that whenever you chant the 16 rounds, you are no longer in Maya? <laughs> Probably if you chant your 16 rounds, that may help you to realize furthermore how much in Maya you are. Because that's part of the 
process of transcending Maya Shakti to, to really land in how much that's all pervading in your present situation. And not over-identifying with that, but realizing its influence. So this idea of, if I chant my rounds, I'm not in Maya, so I have to chant my rounds. So if I chant my rounds, I'm okay. But some, and sometimes I've seen that also. For example, the devotee is asking, are you chanting your rounds? And only the, I mean, and everything else will depend on if I say yes or no, that's all. If I say yes, I'm legal, basically. I'm on the other side. And if I say no, oh, there is a problem. Let's see how you can get to chant. But generally the inquiry doesn't go beyond how, if you are doing that or not, how much you are doing that or not. But the real question is how you are doing that. Because, I mean, at the end of our life, nobody will ask us how many rounds you chanted. No? It's not that the Jamadutas or the Vishnadutas will appear with one calculator and start to count, okay, you chanted this number of rounds or you missed this time. The question won't be in terms of quantity, but in terms of quality. Of course, if there is quality, quality will attract quantity for sure. If you chant properly, you will want to chant more. <laughs> So this is not an excuse for decreasing quantity, but the point is sometimes the devotees really get stuck into counting more than chanting. <clears throat> and that's one classical example of this. In the name of practicing spiritual life, that's the best excuse not to practice, in the sense of, I'm practicing, I'm chanting my 16 rounds. So that creates some kind of blockage, some kind of filter, where you cannot tell me anything because I'm chanting my 16 rounds. Mm. So you yourself kind of create this type of protective mechanism where you show yourself to the world, I'm doing things properly, so nobody can tell me anything. But actually you are being evasive. You are not going deeper into how you are doing that, how you can improve that, and so on. So that's one example, of course. Many other th things can be there. Like, I'm initiated, I'm not initiated, this is my guru, I'm following the four regulative principles, as we spoke the other day. So, I'm legal. <laughs> but that's not all and as we said many times what does it mean to follow the four regulative principles we want to apply the furthest possible idea and extension of these notions not just to take the cheapest lowest one and get remain there and try to make a whole thing out of that no? because yes externally you may be not eating meat taking non-taking intoxication not going to the casino and so on, not illicit sex, whatever that means. But that's not the all in all of fourth reg regulative principles, mm -hmm. as we know. It's about positive qualities that come from those practices austerity, purity, compassion, mm -hmm. and truthfulness. So if you really play out, I am being 108% truthful, I am being 108% pure, compassionate, and if you are sincere, probably the answer will be no. So the more you and, and the more you extend this notion, as I used to say, these four regulative principles, the more you extend them, the more they get closer to the other four regulative principles. Sunichina, Sagishnuna, Amanina, Manadina. The more they start to merge with the four pillars that Mahaprabhu gave for us regarding how to chant. Which is has and, and all this has to do with Nishta, has to do with being a Madhyam Madhikar. So the more you play out these basic ideas for human life, the more you find yourself aspiring for intermediate devotion, Madhyam stage. 
So you see, there's not like a, a cheap way to cut that and just make the, the, more, the less possible meaning of them. That's again a way of, in the name of practicing, in the name of following, you're actually escaping from that, escaping from a further development of that same idea. You follow. So my point is this, what does it mean to really follow the four regulative principles? What does it mean really to chant your rounds? And everything else, what does it mean to have a guru? What does it mean to be a disciple? We shouldn't be complacent, we shouldn't be conformed with easy answers. Because we can quickly make like automatic replies, sutras, to, be, to cover all the holes of our evasive mechanism. And, oh, I'm okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I have the perfect answer for everything. Sometimes that's the problem. The devotees may think, we have the perfect answer for everything. Perfect question, perfect answers. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree, for sure. But there are many levels of that. <laughs> many levels of perfect answers. So according to where we are, we need a certain level, if you will, of perfection of that. So there will be some, some ideas in, in that connection, no? how in, in the name of practicing a spiritual life, that may be the best excuse not to practice spiritual life. No, when I mean this, I mean not to go deeper into what you are doing, not to, not to maintain yourself in this mood of uh, progressiveness, which is to really practice spiritual life. I mean, what does it mean practice? It's not just doing the same thing every day in the same exact way. This is not practice. Try to apply the idea of practice to any other realm. For example, to music. You are a musician and you are expected to practice your specific instrument. I mean, if, if you are practicing the idea, it's not that every single day you are practicing the same thing for three decades. That will be totally nonsense. You will commit suicide after some months. <laughs> So you are expected to yeah you are expected to practice forever and, and the more you you become a, a, like accomplished as a musician the more humbling the experience will be for you the more you will feel I'm just a beginner the greatest artist in any area will say that students forever but at the same time in your practice there will be an improvement there will be something happening it's not just you take the practice the rehearsal as an excuse to always remain in the same position. That's totally against the very idea of practicing. If I take the practice, uh, take up the practice of something, it's because I want to improve whatever I am in that something I'm practicing. You follow? It's not that I play guitar and I take my guitar and try to become complacent and in the name of practicing guitar, I'm actually trying to, to remain in the same place always and being evasive. That, that makes no sense with the very idea of practicing. So if that applies to any material engagement, what to speak, how much does it apply <laughs> to the realm of transcendence, of mysticism, of the spiritual dynamics. So, so again, all this is to be done in a sustainable, healthy way, no, non-paranoid. But every single day some concern from progress should be there. And every single day we should be careful of not being taken shelter in certain official narratives that may become a trap, basically, that may become an evasive device for us. For other people, certain ways of saying things may be helpful, but for some others, those same formulas, if you will, are no longer uh, healthy, start to become some form of addiction, 
where you try to justify that which is, which is impossible to justify any longer. So you need to resort to an, a renewed way of explaining things to yourself. This is not about convincing others of something, it's about how this is playing out with yourself, which is how is the conversation, the dialogue taking place with yourself on a daily basis. Hmm? So we have to pay close attention how every single thing that I'm doing on the, base, on the daily basis in the name of my sadhana is actually invoking the result it is expected to invoke and how it's not creating further obstacles actually. Because that can happen again. We may not have that intention but we may, I mean, let's agree that part of our practice may be doing the same thing for eternity. <laughs> so there is some danger in that. You follow. There is some danger of falling into some mechanical uh, execution of some things. Because it's always the same externally. Again, it shouldn't be always the same internally. So that's a challenging thing. It's not that every, every year your guru will up update your mantra <laughs> so you don't get bored with that. And every single month you will change your deity in the altar. So you have some news, noble stuff going on. And you may even change your guru every some decades or so. <laughs> and you want to change your name. I mean, sometimes we want to change many things. Prabhupada say that. Now you Westerners, you like to change so many things always. <laughs> and of course, no problem with wanting change. But not so much wanting to change certain things externally but wanting to go grow and go deep into the same things and finding the change in how we progress understanding actually what I'm doing is not it's, it should be never the same because all these items have the potential of be constantly expanding Srinam, Srimurti, Harikata, Sadhu Sangha all these are unending principles so they have no limits if I see the limits that showing my need of change, my need of improvement. The more I improve, the more I realize the, the depth of the practice, the breadth of the practice, how unending, how endless, bottomless ocean is this. But again, we have to pay close attention on a daily basis. That's part of our sadhana. Not just go with emotions, doing what I'm expected to do, 16 rounds, half an hour reading whatever book, going to the class, bowing down before the deity, assisting to this particular weekly class. Because if you don't really remain aware of what you are doing, if you are not investing awareness, investing yourself in a, with awareness in whatever you are doing, fully investing yourself in the present moment, you can really enter into this complacent like schedule or agenda. Okay, this day I do this, this day I, this day I do that, this day I do this. And you already have everything fixed. You have all your holes like engaged. I know what to do here, what to do here, what to do here. End of the day, I'm done. I do everything perfectly and like this every day. But you are also you may be also organizing your life in such a way that you don't have any in between moments to think deeply about what's going on here. <laughs> what's going on with me? Why I'm doing all this stuff? Is that working? Should I change something? Sometimes we may feel our life of multitasking spiritual dynamics <laughs> but also we need some place and space for contemplation and introspection so all the things are necessary for again for not using spiritual life as an whatever as some form of drug if you will <laughs>
some anesthesia, no? to really be distracted more than be focused, rather not being evasive, but actually being fully committed and aware in the proper direction. So again, how that plays out in each particular individual case, that we need to sort that out ourselves. But the principle is there. And the possibility of all this happening is there. Our chair have spoken about that. So we should be very careful of not getting attached to the game. To, to, to trying to lick, if you will, the bottle and end up thinking, I'm tasting the honey, as Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will give the example. We should every single day understand, I need to enter into the bottle. And first I need to open the bottle. <laughs> that, may, that may be a little difficult. Every day, maybe a new bottle, more difficult to open, whatever. And it may be easier to go to the glass and just lick the bottle outside and think, oh, and convince yourself, oh, this is so sweet. <laughs> this is real honey. Now imagine, what's the difference between eating honey and, and, and swallowing glass? I don't think there's a connection between the two. But if, if, if you can convince yourself that one thing is the same of the other, that's quite a contrast. That really shows how much potential we have to cheat ourselves. I mean, if you have the possibility of convincing yourself that eating glass is the same as licking honey, I mean, that's a dangerous potential. So you should, <laughs> you should be pretty aware. Um, and then, of course, always the end, the end advice is try to remain under the shelter and under the protective eye of sadhus, well-wishers, that won't allow you to be, won't allow us to be as as hypocrite or complacent as we have the potential to be. So whenever we are walking, diverging in that direction, we will receive some particular uh, advice, loving advice, whatever, some words, something that will reach us. And we, we should be, of course, daily praying for that also. That's an important point. To pray for if that happens, because we should, we should be humble enough to acknowledge this may happen, even if I don't want it to happen, somehow this may happen on some level and I may not realize that's happening. So we may pray, please Bhagavan, Sri Gurudev, Vaishnavs, whenever that may be happening and I'm not realizing, make that clear for me, overtly clear, and, and, make, and help me to realize what do I need to do for that not to happen. And of course, that will create, Krishna will create the proper arrangement then in reply to that prayer. <laughs> and, and, and the re reply will come and we will be put to test. Because when that's happening, let's see what we do in reply to that. No? Of course, we need to pass all these layers and really embrace the, the correction, if you will, also the advice, the education. So this is a daily basis, daily affair, but very beautiful and glorious one. If you have the intelligence to... We have the intelligence to appreciate that, even though for the ego still may be a little bitter or bittersweet, whatever the case. <laughs> Ultimately, that's a full jar of honey. We should understand that. So we have to understand we want the full jar of honey and no more glass, please. <laughs> okay, I hope that helps. That's a long a topic to unpack in many directions, many implications, but. Somehow this was the particular direction that came today. So, any anything else? We have some some other some few minutes. If there are any other thoughts and comments or questions, something you may like to share.
I'm not following, I know that I'm streaming live in YouTube, so I don't know if someone in YouTube, there is some live chat there. So if someone can check if someone is asking a question there, because sometimes I've seen that they were making questions, but I just read them when the class was over, so <laughs> it was complicated to reply that. To someone can check and tell me, if not, we have some minutes yet. Nelson, who's asking, what are the differences between Vaidhi Bhakti and Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Bhakti? They seem similar in form. Okay, who is asking the question, sorry? Adam Nelson? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, that's a good question, because there is a difference, but there seems not to be a difference in some cases. For example, in our particular tradition, the Bhaktivinoda Parivar, some of our previous acharyas, such as Akur Bhaktivinoda or Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, sometimes they have used the term Bhaiti Bhakti, but actually what they were referring to was to this notion of Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Bhakti. Hmm. So, it's important to understand even in how the semantics play themselves out, because sometimes, again, some, as we were speaking the other day, Srila Prabhupada sometimes may say, the jivas are conditioned since time immemorial. So, for many people this means, okay, the conditioning started at some point, but it's, it, it is so long ago, that it is beyond our memory, beyond our capacity to recollect. So, in that sense, it is time immemorial, but, but we fell from Bhakunta. <laughs> or something like that. We fell from somewhere, we, that started, but it's from time immemorial, so we cannot remember. But it began at some point. But Prabhupada actually is not implying that. Even, even though for us as Westerners, the notion of immemorial means something, for him it means something else, and that is clearly seen when he, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, in one particular purport, he mentioned that the Nitya Siddhas, the eternal associates of Bhagavan, are devotees of Krishna from time immemorial. So then you, you understand how he, under, how he understands and uses the term time immemorial. It's not that the Nitya Siddhas just showed us Subal, Madhu Mangal, they became associate of Krishna from a long time that has no we cannot remember, but it began at some point. It does it makes no sense to say that. Do you mean that at some point Krishna didn't have a mother, a father, a friend? It means Krishna was not Krishna basically, because you take out all those associates, you you no longer have Braja Krishna with you. So it makes no sense. So the point is for Prabhupada time immemorial means beginningless time. Because that's what the Nitya Siddhas are. They're Nitya Siddha from time without beginning. And the Nitya Badas are conditioned from time without beginning. But again, what he meant by time immemorial in his particular use of the term is very different from what most of Western people will understand by that. So similarly, I'm saying that because similarly, we may be accustomed to think about Bhaiti Bhakti in certain terms, but sometimes our Acharyas will use that term trying to indicate something else <laughs> without clarifying. I am actually referring to a Jata Ruchi Raghava, but if you understand the context in which they are saying that, you understand they are not promoting Bhaiti Bhakti that ends in Vaikuntha, because going to the definition of the terms, Bhaiti Bhakti is, as we, as we generally translate, this devotional service following rules and regulations. 
that mainly depends on the injunctions of Shastra, hmm? what Shastra says, what to do, what not to do, and which are the consequences of not doing this. So there is some, in the, at least in the beginning stages of that, some fear of transgressing certain injunctions, and in this context it is said also that Bhakti Bhakti, pure Bhakti Bhakti, if you will, points to Vaikuntha. Because it's a type of bhakti that from the very beginning is a such, it has such nature hmm, that you will orient it towards God as God. You are to serve God because He deserves to be served. He is God, Narayan, Vaikuntha, and I follow the proper method to worship God. So that's by the bhakti in brief. Of course, I'm being totally brief. <laughs> and I will say Rupa Goswami because sometimes some people say, but we are, we, our Sampradaya also is by the Bhakti, because if not, why Rupa Goswami described by the Bhakti and, and Bhakti Rasambi to sin? If we are only Raganuga Bhakti, why he spoke about by the Bhakti for a considerable time? And my reply is, well, because most of what Raganuga Bhakti is, is also about engaging in most of the Angas that constitute by the Bhakti. So, and, and also Rupa Goswami was presenting, as, as we know, the Goswamis in themselves were presenting a whole new Sampradaya at that time. They were the architects, as Nagunraj used to say, of the whole Sampradaya. So they were very sensitive about certain considerations, social considerations of the time, where, in this case, the notion of Bhaiti Bhakti was really prevalent. You know, Madhva Sampradaya, Ramanuja Sampradaya. So somehow he also invoked this Bhaiti Bhakti structure you know, to... to to, to connect, no, not to say we are by the bhaktas, but somehow to present, okay, this is by the bhakti, this is what most of the people, when they hear bhakti, connect with. So this is by the bhakti, and this is Raganuga bhakti, which mostly has to do with engaging in the limbs of by the bhakti, but with, a very, with this very particular unique type of orientation, motivation and so on. So on the basis of that thing that is well known for most of the people at the time, he gradually starts to construct his main proposal, which is Raganuga Bhakti, and then he goes on to Bhava and Prem and Bhakti Rasa, and what to speak, all the other books they are writing, Ujbal Nilamani and so on. But you have to understand, and, and this may take some time, and we, have, we may have to travel in time, to, un- to understand the, 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 the times, the language of the time, the requirements of the times. So, because of this, I will say he also mentioned all this. But by the Bhakti, strictly speaking, is what, for example, Ramanuja Sampradaya follows, which is really uh, not in the spirit of following the inhabitants of Braj and serving Krishna in the context of Gyansunya Bhakti and seeing him as, as whatever. Hmm? Mora Putra, Mora Saka, Mora Pranapati. And it is say, my, my, my child, my friend, my beloved, that's not how they will think in terms of in Vaikuntha, in relation to Narayan. So it's a very unique goal with a very unique orientation, Raga Nuga Bhakti. So, Bhaiti Bhakti points to Vaikuntha. That's a clip. From day one, you will be directed towards Vaikuntha. You will receive that Sambandha. That's the point. No? That's a bonding connection to that prayojan. The prayojan will be set from day one, Narayan, Vaikuntha, Dasya, Bhakti, there, Aishvarya, Gyan, and there is a, a sambanda that will explain you that goal and a corresponding avideya to take you to that goal. So that's very different if you really analyze 
from Ajata Ruchiraganuga Sadhana Bhakti because Ajata Ruchiraganuga Sadhana Bhakti, which is a term that Jiva Goswami uh, impli- employs in Bhakti Sandarva, and then Krishna Daska Vrash Goswami also uses in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, basically speaks about being engaged in the Raganuga and the Raganuga Sampradaya, but still in a stage where Lobha or Lolyam, which is the main uh, ad- Adhikar factor, if you will. <laughs> For being part of that line, still is not that much prevalent. So as I always say, day one, you arrive day one to the temple. This is your first lifetime, lifetime engaging in Krishna Bhakti. You don't have previous Raga Marga Samskars. So you don't have that much love on day one. I mean, you are not like passionately wanting to follow in the footsteps of some of the eternal associates of, of Krishna in Braj. You don't, you don't even have a clue about it which what all those things are <laughs> but you start to connect with a particular group of people with particular sangha which is connected with certain sadhus which belong to a particular lineage which carry a particular descending current which in- includes this particular spirit raga bhakti in a particular direction so even though you are not aware of that in day one still you are receiving Bhakti scars of that particular type, unconsciously. And of course, in time, those things will become more conscious, from Agnata to Jnata. And gradually you will develop some particular affinity because of those scars group put together. And some will be some specific culture guided for that. But again, in the beginning, you may be having, of course, to follow certain rules, regulations, but the orientation from day one is totally different because from day one they won't tell you the goal is Narayanim by Kunta Dasya Bhakti and Aishvarya Gyan. So I will, I will educate you on the Sambanda corresponding with that Prayojan. No. From day one, the goal in a Gaudiya Sampradaya is the goal is Braja Krishna hmm, in a particular type of serving mood disposition. Nityanavati for Mahaprabhu, you have an extra option there. <laughs> And there is a Sambanda corresponding with that. And this Sambanda again is, is, is totally, in one sense, different from a Bhaiti Bhakti Sampradaya. Mm-hmm. Still, you don't have that much spontaneity and maybe a Bhaiti advanced Bhaiti Bhakta <clears throat> may be more spontaneous than you, <laughs> a beginning Raga Bhakta. And that's why I, I do not like too much to translate Raga Nuga Bhakti as a spontaneous devotion because in the beginning it may not be that spontaneous. And, and, may, and you may be a Bhaiti Bhakta, and you may be actually spontaneous. In Vaikuntha, everyone is serving Narayan with full spontaneity. It's not that they are really calculating whatever they're doing and full of fear. That's not the picture in Vaikuntha. It's a very beautiful flow. But in particular terms, again, Aishwarya again, he is God. I love him because he's God. He's... So, but again, from day one, the generosity of the path, the generosity of Mahaprabhu and, 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 and the carriers, the bearers of the path, is you are counted as a Raga Bhakta. Engage in Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti. A form of Raganuga Bhakti where you are, the, there is a certain goal that is put in context who you are and where you are, and gradually in time you become aware of those details, and gradually <clears throat> you start to incorporate them as part of your daily sadhana, as much as you can, according to your particular moment. That's the very definition of Ajata Ruchiraganuga Sadhana Bhakti given by Jiva Goswami. It means that you embrace the Bhakti and in the beginning you will be 
quote unquote by the bhakti in the sense of your practice mostly depends on following what the Shastra says and avoiding what it doesn't say you don't have yet this criteria fully awakened in the context of Raga Bhakti but still quite calculated but gradually you start to be informed about what's Raga Bhakti what's the goal which are the main angas of Raga Bhakti and you try to incorporate them to make them more prominent as much as you can and you have of course to be sincere about that you, know, you cannot just like imitate Lila Shmarnam and try to enter into your Gambira for 12 years and remain totally dysfunctional so <laughs> it requires some not only some feedback from Sri Guru and some other Vaishnava, but also real deep integrity and honesty from, from oneself you know? so, so I will say I mean the more we unpack these two notions I will say the more of them the more the two become apparently become really it becomes clear apparently clear what's the difference between the two but if you want a further in-depth study of that I will also suggest besides of course Bhaktira Sambhita Sindhu which may be scary for some because of its length <laughs> Raghavarma Chandrika is a very interesting analysis when Srila Vishwanath Chakravartakur he studies introduces is a summary of Bhaktira Sambhita Sindhu and, and mostly he concentrates of Ragan, on Raghavarma Bhakti but he starts with uh, with Paiti Bhakti as well and so on so I hope that helps. Okay, we are almost on time, so I don't know if there is any one last, more or less question before we uh, we close our session today. Whether here or in, or in YouTube. <coughs> Okay, since we are done for today and Kirtan is sounding in the back, so Trinam is calling me and is calling us, not only me. <laughs> so we will continue with our respective daily uh, devotional engagements. So my pleasure to see you all and thank you as usual for connecting and hope to see, hope to see you next week. This time will be from Srinavadip Dam, Sriman Mahaprabhu gives his permission and blessings and of course all of you Vaishnavs as well I depend on your well wishing so please be be merciful to me so thank you so much again and hope to see you next week Srila Gurudev Ki Jai Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Sri Jagannath Puridham Ki Jai Sri Navadvitham Ki Jai Sri Vrindavandham Ki Jai Gaur Bhakta Vrind Ki Jai Gaur Priman Hari Hari Bhur.